Hi, and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. My name is Dawn, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni, the fastest growing professional network of current and future care and education practitioners. You can join us for free at cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists, careers advisors, access to job vacancies, and our member benefits scheme. And we're really lucky this week to have a special episode, which is part of a four-part series recorded at Wellfest, um, which was a wellness festival for learning practitioners put together by West Yorkshire Learning Providers and supported by Cash Alumni back in the early summer. WYLP are a regional network established to support and advocate all providers and colleges in the further education and skills sector. In addition, providing a unique provider support service to support providers on their journey to outstanding. And I'll let Alex introduce the rest of this episode. Um, So today's theme is health, nutrition and exercise. Um, And the point of the session really is to provide um, people from the FE sector with all the information on these different themes, all kind of surrounding well-being, obviously to benefit yourselves and your family and your colleagues, but also to pay it forward to your learners and help um, develop like a really comprehensive pastoral or personal development package. So it's about how we can also look at embedding this into learners' curriculum, all the kind of tools and hints and tips and information that you're going to get over the next um, four days if you're joining us for each theme. Um, we have um, Louise, uh, an award-winning author and nutritional therapist, and then we're going to be followed by Beck Conley, who is a professional female boxer. So, um, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Louise. Hello, thank you. Um, yeah, so I am Louise Messia and I am a nutritional therapist. Now, that does mean I talk about food, but it means I talk a lot about what goes on up here with our relationship with food. So, often when you hear nutrition, it can be a bit like, oh, here we go again, because it's people talking about counting calories and what you should and shouldn't eat, etc. But there's not a lot of why, and that's what I like to focus on why should we and shouldn't we eat certain things and actually what is the connection with what we eat and how we move and what we think etc etc so that's kind of what the therapist side of what i do and obviously i do talk about food quite a lot and so yeah (laughs) so just how important is food and this is often people um misunderstand how important food is and certainly downplay it and underestimate the importance of food now if we consider the way that I like to tell people when I talk about food is the food you eat affects every single cell in your body and you have trillions of cells in your body. So you when you consider that is every decision, every movement and every emotion. So everything you do, literally everything you do and everywhere you move and everything you think and feel comes down to the food that you eat. So it's not to be downplayed, it is crucially important and it is about so much more than how many calories you eat and how much you move. There's so much more to food than that. It's, it's literally every movement, every decision and every emotion. So remembering that the food you eat impacts on every cell in your body, every movement, every decision, every emotion. And then we find ourselves in the real world where we're juggling everything all at once. And this means that we're obviously really busy, really tired, really stressed. And those feelings then influence our food choices. And it's those feelings that influence our food choices that often dictates the food that we eat. Because we're trying to cope with being this busy and this stressed and this tired, maybe feel a bit low, maybe feel a bit stressed. So we we look for something to solve that with food. And this is where I spend most of my time working on the food link with 
juggling everything and actually what the difference between what we biologically need to make sure that we can juggle all these things properly and, and get through the day without you know being tired, stressed, anxious, upset, up and down, and actually what we then do want. So we often have the wrong food because that's either what we're told we should have or what we're marketed to or what we see other people having and we fancy it, and it has the wrong biological effect, if that makes sense. So nutrition is both incredibly straightforward and incredibly complicated. And if we consider juggling everything that we do here and how busy and tired we are and the fact that everything that we eat impacts on every decision, every movement, every emotion, if we are eating things to pick us up like caffeine and sugar because we think that's what we need to pick us up and actually it has the wrong biological effect but then it's exacerbating this trying to juggle everything, if that makes sense. So we'll move on. So what often drives food decisions and this is this is coming back to what we think we want as opposed to what we biologically need now what we what we think we want is driven by something called hedonic hunger there's two different well there's potentially three different types of hunger there's the real proper hunger biological hunger where we are genuinely in need of food we don't really feel that very often we don't really feel genuinely biologically hungry what we feel often, most often, is hedonic hunger. What we see, what we fancy, what somebody else has got, what we smell. If we go somewhere and there's a food memory, so it's like, oh, I remember being here, we had this and it was great, and then suddenly you really want it, that's not real hunger, that's hedonic hunger. And that's what you, when you eat to obtain pleasure, rather than actually being hungry and needing the food. And this is what basically we are, <laughs> this is what we want most of the time. And this is what food manufacturers play on. They, they deliberately market here as all the things that are driven by hedonic hunger. All the things that look good, smell good, you know, drive these food memories. And, and almost like, you know, there's lorries going around with a cuddly cat going, have a biscuit, it's like a cuddle. No, it isn't. But it's, it's that association of comfort and food and etc. And they're all playing to this biological hedonic hunger. It's not, it's not a genuine hunger but it's playing to all the things. There's the food link um, and the emotional link come back to what drives those food decisions. And so hedonic hunger is what, what we're often driven by in terms of being hungry. Let me just check my notes. Um, yeah, so the, the problem as well is these foods that drive hedonic hunger, sugary foods and fatty foods generally, and high caffeine foods, things that stimulate us and, and going back to how tired and busy we are, things that make us feel like we're actually gonna have something to, to perk us up um, and get us through the day. If we're stressed, it'll help us, it'll, it'll give us a boost. Actually, it generally has the opposite effect because when you have a boost, you then have a crash. So you go up and then you come down. And in a learning environment, and that's really difficult to sustain. And I do a lot of work on early years and with children. And if your, your blood sugar goes up, that's great. You get a very short sort of attention span where you're, you're sort of heightened and you can, you, know, you can kind of work with that, but it's very short. What comes after that is a big crash. And in that crash comes irritability, um, loss of attention completely, even temper sometimes. You can feel a bit irritable and angry um, when the blood sugar drops so much and a complete loss of concentration. And then you feel hungry again, because that blood sugar up and down, driven by the types of foods that we want when, we, when we're feeling hedonic hunger, tends to be foods that do not really sustain us. So we might think, oh, I really want a bit of cake, 
we might have this big sugar thing we might feel quite good for a moment and then we're like yeah that's great but then we come down we feel worse we feel hungry again because we haven't actually genuinely had proper food to meet the biological need of the body but we've kind of had this up and down so in a learning environment when you go up and down and up and down so does the mood so does the attention so does the cognitive capability so the cognitive function of retaining information is massively altered by the foods that we eat but often we're driven to those foods by clever marketing and an innate desire of what we fancy so how to be in control of those things this is where i work with my clients a lot is that we all can be in control of the food that we eat but if we if we kind of believe everything that we see with nutrition nutrition has got to be one of the most contradictory fields out there there is something different in the press is like eat avocados no don't eat avocados eat eggs no don't eat eggs you know from one week to the next it is it is confusing so it's no wonder that in some ways nutrition has a bit of a, a bad press and people switch off when they see or hear it because it's like oh, you know what now and um, or it's almost like a blame culture and I, I do a lot of work on clients of who feel bad with their food relationship who feel like they're because they're not in control they can sit and eat a packet of biscuits and plum, where did it go? Because they're driven by the hedonic hunger, because the food doesn't sustain. So because they don't feel full and they're not really tasting and it's not mindful eating, so suddenly the packet of biscuits can disappear without them even having tasted or enjoyed it. So then comes the guilt and then you feel out of control because it's like, oh, you know, why did I do that? Why did I eat that? I didn't even, you know, I didn't even enjoy it. If you wet them, where have they gone? And it's that feeling of being out of control. And that's, that's often what we're driven, made to feel. So when we then get nutrition advice, often in the, in the news, it's all, you know, just eat less, eat less. Really isn't that straightforward or simple. And you're not, when people tell you to eat less, or when people say, well, just cut the biscuits out, cut the chocolate out, cut the cake out, cut the caffeine, cut the, they're not breaking the links. So there's a really strong, food and brain link too strong to go into in the time that I've got here there's a really deep-rooted connection it's really a emotive relationship now when we consider that our food relationship is a lifelong relationship you know it's not something that we can dip in and out of it's a lifelong relationship and the consequences of that relationship can be really really negative and really really damaging um, so anybody who works in a job where they are really busy um, has very few breaks, which I know some of the sectors that you deal with do, they tend to have quite a bad diet at times because they're just grabbing whatever they can in a very short window of time. But they're also doing a job that's quite physically demanding and probably quite stressful. So the, the counterbalance of that for their health, physical and mental, because they're both very strong links with food, is that they won't feel particularly in control of their food. They might feel quite bad about themselves because of the way that they eat. Um, and it, it may affect their sort of cognitive clarity through the day and their physical and mental health as well. So it's a hugely influential, and it is, as I keep saying, it's about so much more than how many calories. It's about so much more than what you actually eat. It's about why and what drives you. Food is, of course, energy, and food is, of course, fuel. But coming back to that biological, what do we need compared to what we crave? Now, when you feel tired, I don't know if this can be interactive, Alex. I don't know if we can kind of ask people. Um, but when you feel kind of tired, what is the food that you want or crave or think will pick you up? I just, if I can get any responses, that'd be great. I don't know. If I can. Coffee. Yeah. Although I do like to eat cucumber when I'm stressed, so that's. I oh, do you. Good. 
No, that's an unusual one, but the rest, that cucumber aside, <laughs> the rest of the responses were as I would expect them to be, stimulants and things that are what we what we think we will pick us up, um, so high fat, high sugar, high caffeine, they're generally the things that we think are going to give us that, that boost. And this is exactly where the food manufacturers play to those strengths and deliberately market those foods to us for those reasons, um, because also they're highly addictive, highly palatable. They're what nutritionally are considered as nutrient devoid or empty calories. So they have a calorie value, obviously, um, but they don't necessarily give us energy. So calorie, what calories should do is go into the body and go around the body and get energy to where it's needed. That could be cognitive energy or physical energy. We need both types of energy. The brain actually is quite greedy in terms of calories. It uses quite a lot. So what those types of foods do, you eat them, probably quite a lot of calories in them but you don't ah yes I'm coming on to habits um but you don't get that much energy from them and they're not very energy dense they're energy they're kind of nutrient devoid so they're not giving you much but they're also not very filling and now this is really clever what the food manufacturers do they deliberately know never assume that food manufacturers don't understand the biology of nutrition they do and they use it to their advantage not ours so they know that those foods do not produce the hormone that makes us feel full, leptin, which other foods do. So if you were to eat a normal food, not a processed food, you would produce leptin. It's this hormone that makes you feel full and satisfied from food. You would also get the energy and nutrients from that food because it's real food and you'd be able to eat and feel satisfied and move on. Crisps, biscuits, cake, blah, 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 all those other things, they don't make you produce leptin in the same way which is why the packet of biscuits or the box of chocolates can disappear without you even noticing that you've eaten them all because you're not producing the hormone to make you feel full. You can eat them all and eat them all and eat them all and not feel full. And so what they're also designed to do is to fuel the hunger hormone. So you don't feel full, you don't produce the feel full hormone, but you also produce more of the hunger hormone, ghrelin or gremlin, which then makes you desire more of those foods because when that blood sugar drops, you're hungry again. You want more of them. So you're going back for more. So going back to it being energy, you're not actually, you think you're getting the energy, you're not really getting the energy and you're having that up and down, sort of up, down or crash. So that kind of pattern of eating has a metabolic sort of pattern of unhealthy behaviour and a neurological pattern of unhealthy behaviour. But again, two different big subjects that we could go into. Um, it was just a, and it's a this and it's a this and it's this to show you how much nutrition does. Um, so that the foods that really fuel our sustained energy, our sustained cognitive clarity through the day are the foods that are not as sexy, not as interesting, not as enticing, not heavily marketed to us, not packaged up in a, in a way that makes them as appealing but they are the foods that biologically the body wants, needs, and does crave. Underneath all of the other cravings, it does crave them. And what you can do is reroute a lot of your neurological pathways when it comes to food. And this is what I do with my clients. Somebody mentioned habits and that habitual eating. This is based on food memories. So if we always have, I think a two o'clock was an example, and a two o'clock is a really good example because if you always have a cappuccino biscuit at two o'clock or you always have a coffee and something at 11 o'clock, you're never hungry at that time. But that habit and that food memory becomes something that you just do. 
and then you may then have that with your children as well and then it becomes something that they just do and we do have intergenerational food habits it's just what we did at that time it's what we did and then that passes on generation to generation so you can reroute those things you can reroute your food prices you can reroute the little connections that go linking what you eat with how you feel how, how your memories are etc etc and that just takes some training and some working through it is not a case of i just don't eat chocolate you know, when, when my clients come to me and they've had so many different advice and, and, you know, conversations with different experts and their self-esteem is right down here and their morale is right down here because they just feel like everything they've tried has failed. That's because everything they've tried is going to fail because they haven't ever tried to work out the reason why. So yes, we crave these things, um, but actually what we biologically need and crave, we can train our body to biologically need and crave. We are bombarded, as I said, for all the reasons I had said, with advertisements for the wrong type of food, despite there being, you know, something constantly in the news, not at the moment, obviously, the news is rather busy at the moment, prior to the last few months of this weirdness. Um, the news was full of, you know, eat this, don't eat this, health this, there's health scare, there's health scare that. And nutrition was often in there. You know, generally, every association to do with obesity or junk food is negative. It's always negative. It's always the individual's fault. The individual shouldn't eat so much. Well, why can't people just moderate, you know, some kind of self-discipline and eat less? Because it doesn't work that way. And they fall, they know that full, they know that full well. Um, so when we are constantly bombarded with adverts for food, and, and they shouldn't market at children but we you know they have characters on children's food and the characters on children's food are never on the foods that are the healthiest choices for children so we are bombarded they the food manufacturers know how to artificially create things like serotonin um, by cake but it's a very short-lived unnatural form of serotonin um, so they know that it's going to make people feel good momentarily and that momentarily feeling good is going to be enough to drive you to want more and more they understand hedonic hunger, of course, and they understand the emotional link with food. There's a massive emotional link with food. And then knowing all of that is why they advertise the way that they do to us. So remembering that food and link brain and that all food decisions start here. All here. Not what's on your plate, not what you're being told. It's all here. Everything starts here and it is really deep rooted. The reason why I do a lot of work on early years nutrition is that most of our food habits as an adult shaped in childhood particularly the first seven years so whatever food habits you have as an adult generally it started when you were a child it starts in pregnancy actually from from when you're in the womb so it's really deep-rooted your cravings start in your mother's third trimester so it's really deep-rooted a massive long journey that you've had with food so it's no it's no surprise that actually it's quite hard to, to you know, to move away from that when you just try and stop doing something without getting to the root of the problem. But you can shape those as just a way of doing it and it's not just a way of going on a diet. So you are in control, that's the one thing to remember about your relationship with food. But in terms of energy and concentration, the things to remember are that hedonic hunger, not proper hunger, but also hydration. Often we're not really hungry because biologically we're not hungry that often anymore but often we are thirsty and we're mistaking the thirst for hunger. And if you're thirsty, very hard to concentrate, very hard to focus and problem solve and listen to information if you're thirsty. And most people are thirsty. Another thing to remember about sustained energy and concentration is the controlled blood sugar. 
So not this and this, not this and this and this and this, but just a regular sustained blood sugar because that means that you're not going up and down neurologically and metabolically and that you're a lot more, you have a lot more energy generally. So how you get those energy are from real foods, not those processed foods everybody craves when they're tired and stressed, but proteins, carbs and fat. So if you have a breakfast that's good um, in terms of protein, like eggs or something, and don't be scared of eggs, I know they're in the news to be scared of often, but don't be scared of eggs, and don't be scared of avocado. Um, so if you have some like avocado and eggs for breakfast, loads of protein and some fat, a good fat is good, fat is not to be scared of, You can that's gonna sustain you through the morning. If you have a bottle of cocoa pops, you have your breakfast at seven by half nine you're going to be starving and you're going to be quite irritable because the blood sugar has dropped and you're quite hungry again good avocados are next right lots of people are scared of them um and then b vitamins so i would need a lot longer to go into the the real energy um, of food but b vitamins help with energy transfer around the body and they help with the metabolism now if you are somebody who's interested in weight loss the key to weight loss is metabolism and the key to metabolism is b vitamins so it's often not the big things that do the work but the little things the little things that everyone forgets about vitamins and minerals really important really underestimated um iron as well so iron helps to oxygenate the body being oxygenated helps you feel energized you know so it's, it's kind of making sure that your cells are getting what they need remember that food impacts on every cell in the body trillions of them so you kind of need to get the right information out to the cells and so really whistle stop but i think that's is that the last one alex i think it's the last one yeah what yeah. oh yes remember two things because i know i've said a lot and i know i get very excited talking about nutrition um, but if you can just remember two things remember it's food is much more influential than you realize if anybody ever says to you i'll just eat less and move more no you can tell them to go and you know because it's not going to work um, and that there's a lot more to it than that so food is much more influential than influential than many people realize and you are in control not the food manufacturers the food manufacturers try and drive our decisions with food but actually it's here that's in control and we can influence and shape that that's been great thank you so much i've written loads of notes there loads of information <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That's been amazing. Thank you so much. Um, you're, I've got a link there, but everyone will get the link to your website. And as you said, you do do ca- articles and, and information for cash. Yeah. Um, oh, I just I need to ask this question because I am a fan. Are smoothies actually helping us get the right amount of fruit or veg, or is it a big myth? Depends Sorry, what just... you put in it. Again, it really does depend what you put in it. So what I what I like to do with smoothies and things like that is actually get a lot of the, the sort of hidden nutrients and so things that you wouldn't necessarily like. There's no point just having banana, blueberry, strawberry and milk. That's just really nice. You'd eat that anyway. It's trying to get things in that you wouldn't perhaps normally eat. So things like wheatgrass, which is a really good sort of green nutrition and really concentrated form of green nutrition. But you put that with something else and you can't taste it. You would never eat wheatgrass on its own. So smoothies can be very calorie dense and energy dense, but just, you know, a nice to have. Or they can be, you know, a good way of sneaking in a lot of extra nutrients that you wouldn't especially if you do it for children you know i give my six child wheatgrass in a smoothie with a banana put a banana with it you can't taste anything it's <laughs> sneaky i like it thank you Maybe. i'll now hand over to beck beck honley is here and um um well i'll let you introduce your, yourself but is also here to talk about the theme um, around nutrition and health and exercise so over to you beck thank you Oh, thank you very much. My main role, I'm a professional athlete. I'm a boxer. 
Um, I also have my own uh, nutritionist and training business and uh, run organic roots. Um, due to um, coronavirus, I'm now soldiering instead of part-time, full-time, whilst all the gyms and all the fights are off. So uh, hence I'm at work today where I can't have my video on. Um, but there's been some real positives to come out of this um, coronavirus, I think. People have taken a much more avid interest in their health, um, realising that it's the most important thing. Without our health, we literally have nothing. Um, immunity has come up so many, many times since this has started. And I think people are starting to realise, um, I mean, we've just had a great talk on nutrition, completely agree with it. Um, I'm going to talk about exercise today, but everyone's starting to realise that exercise is the biggest resource, free resource available to us. Um, make sure we've got both a strong body and mind. It's free healthcare, um, it's prevention of disease and cure of disease mixed with good nutrition, like it is in my opinion, the most important thing we can do for ourselves. Um, personally, I'm really passionate about building people's emotional resilience through exercise and improving their not only physical health, but their emotional health. Um, I think it's really important not to separate the physical from the mental. Um, as we just talked about with nutrition, it's a lot to do with the mind, body connection and habitual things. Um, and that goes for exercise as well. I think at all levels, no matter what your fitness level is, any increase in your heart rate is gonna release endorphins. Um, it increases the neurotransmitter serotonin, so the happy hormone. Um, it gives you more energy, more clarity of thinking. Um, it decreases the negative um, cortisol hormone, it blocks that. So you can't help, like, I don't know if any of you have ever not wanted to go to a workout and you've made yourself go and then afterwards you're like, oh, I'm so pleased I did that. Um, and that's absolutely, everything comes down to hormones. And I think it's so important to get people into some form of exercise. Um, so it's so beneficial for you, like as we've just said, heart disease, diabetes, obesity in this country, like it's just the one of our biggest, biggest problems. So weight loss is really, really important. Um, I don't care what you look like. <laughs> um, I'm sure you care what you look like because that has an effect on how you feel about yourself. But for me, it's just literally about getting people into a healthy body. And unfortunately with excess weight on you, that is not always the case. Um, so if it's this great and exercise helps build muscles, um, if you've got, I'm not talking um, stage muscles or anything, I'm just talking muscles in general, it helps you burn more calories when you're resting, um, so your weight comes down. Um, if, if it's this good for you, um, why wouldn't you do it? And I think that's the big question for, um, a lot of people and it's simply that there's so many barriers and it's breaking those barriers down um, lack of motivation is is a massive one again motivation um, a lack of motivation be caused by many many factors not just <laughs> I'm lazy I don't like it um, your hormones could be really off balance you could be in the wrong foods and that's like causing you not to clear thinking like clear thinking um, 
So motivation is definitely a barrier. A lack of confidence. If you are overweight or you don't know what you're doing with regards to exercise, I think a gym can be a really intimidating environment. Um, I think beginning anything is really very, very difficult. And I think as an adult, it's even more intimidating to go and do something you've never done. Um, I've just said it's free because it absolutely can be free, but a lot of exercise does cost money. A lot of things you might like to do for exercise. So money can be a barrier. Um, embarrassment can be a, bar a barrier. And the other thing I get quite a lot with my clients is like, I just hate it. I really don't enjoy it. Um, so to break down those barriers, I think we need to look at what type of exercise you're doing. Um, is, is it a sport? Is it getting involved like that? Um, I've just said about the emotional connection. So the social side of exercise can really, really help um, in your feeling of being in a pack, so to speak, of belonging to something. It causes that oxytocin love hormone um, that we all absolutely need for our well-being. Um, I know as, as a soldier, we have to stay really, really fit. Um, but it's also the, the, the bond you have with your team and the other men around you. And it's that sense of belonging that makes you wanna, wanna keep going back. Um, and I think that's, that can be a real big help with some exercise. Um, but of course, there's many, many things you can do alone if that is what's gonna put you off doing it. So it's maybe get a PT, maybe work with a sports um, coach, just even if it's just a consultation to give you some ideas about what you're doing or go and speak in the gym, go and speak in your leisure centers or in your schools um, to your PE teachers um, and try and ha have a route through. I mean, we're in the day of the internet and loads of ideas online so there will be something I, I've never met a client yet that has ended their time with me that isn't keen on at least one type of exercise and it's so varied and it's just about like finding out what you you can enjoy and what you do want to get from exercise and and starting at the level you're at like not pushing someone too hard not pushing yourself too hard to start with um, start slow build up until you've got that confidence and your body's um, reacting properly um, but one thing I'll say is regardless of whether it's the type of exercise you enjoy is sport specific or not um, you get aerobic or anaerobic um, exercise with or without oxygen uh, as your main um, energy source steady state uh, aerobic exercise so jogging um, that kind of thing is the base of all fitness so ideally we'd want all people to have strength balance flexibility endurance agility speed and cardiovascular um, fitness um, that we build up on that but steady state aerobic cardiovascular um, fitness is the base for all of that so that I think is a great place for everyone to start um, and improves people's quality of life because if you're not really into sport or fitness and um, you just want to keep up with your kids like there's nothing better than being able to I mean I've got four children myself and uh, they take up a lot of my time and energy and I can't imagine what enjoyment would be taken away from me if I wasn't able to like at least run well we're always late for school so we need to be able to run to make the gate every morning because otherwise we'd, we'd have late marks all over the place so I really think exercise can improve your not only your absolute fundamental health your emotional health your mental well-being but just like getting enjoyment out of every day really um 
the government guidelines um, under five should be moving around for at least three hours a day. That's not intense exercise. That's just that they've got the ability to go do whatever they want for at least three hours a day. Five to 18, an hour of that a day. Um, age 19 to 64, they say 150 minutes moderate exercise a week and 75 minutes vigorous. So vigorous would be circuits or some kind of like in more intense exercise where you are out of breath. Um, and then 64 plus two days a week and you're promoting strength, balance, flexibility more. Um, but again, that's just government guidelines. I would say get an active lifestyle, start to find something that you really, really enjoy. Um, get out and about and um, start seeing the benefits of uh, training as much as you can. And uh, yeah, making exercise and being outside and um, getting your heart rate raised. Um, which is only going to have a massive impact on your longevity and your quality of life long term um, is the key and exercise isn't this awful thing that you have to dread doing it can be very enjoyable yeah that's been amazing I've loved that but I just want to say a massive thank you to both Beck and Louise for taking time out giving all that really helpful uh, useful information I'll definitely take a lot away from it anyway and I think there's a lot that, that you know practitioners can, can can use to help kind of embed it into the curriculum for their pastoral support or, or personal development if we're if we've got our offset hats on um, so that's absolutely amazing thank you so much guys really appreciate it thanks to Alex and West York Shallon and providers for hosting this episode and thanks to you at home we hope you enjoyed this episode of podcast don't forget, for more great content tailored to everyone in the care and education sectors, you can join our membership network, cashalumni.org.uk. It's free to join and you'll get access to articles from subject specialists, careers advice, job vacancies and our member benefits scheme. WYLP offer a range of membership options to suit all, so if you'd like further information on how they can support you, you can head over to their website www.wylp.org.uk for more information. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of Podcast, please get in touch with us through the contact details on the Cash Alumni website. Until next time, take care.